This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Darug people and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and the modern Australian state has made no effort to come to terms with what was done to Indigenous people following European arrival. Well may we say God save the Queen because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say and progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 127 for Friday, 8th of May, 2020. I'm Jeremy Siapirko, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to the country, what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is returning guest host, Stilgarian. Welcome back, Stilgarian. Hello there, Jeremy. How are you coping in this time? I think when we last spoke, it was a time before quarantine and lockdowns and such. It was March, so we were talking about the maybes rather than uh, it actually having happened yet. I think that's uh, that's where... Look, I'm doing okay. I'm based up in the Blue Mountains, and I'm uh, a kilometre and a half out of the village in the eucalypt scrubland. So, in a sense, not a lot has changed. It just means that I'm only doing, like, one trip out a week. The thing that's most frustrating is that if cabin fever started setting in, I would go and work in the library or pop down to Sydney and work in a library there or sometimes even, quite frankly, late in the afternoon at the pub. And, of course, all of that is off the table. So so you're okay until you go, hmm, I need to do something. Oh, wait, no, my backups are yeah. not available now. Yeah. So the government is working, is determined... <laughs> <laughs> as has been their instinct from the very beginning. They, they, they never wanted the lockdown and they've tried to avoid it for as long as possible. But they're very keen. They keep on putting pressure. I saw Dan Tien had a bit of a, a, bit of a go at Daniel Andrews last Sunday on the bad show. And I, on one of the bad shows. I can't even call it the bad show. There's the one. Monday bad show and the Sunday bad show. That's yes. right. <laughs> and he had, to, he had to walk that back by the afternoon. And walking it back by Sunday afternoon is... That's that's some uh, that that is an attack that fails. <laughs> there have there's been quite a few quick walkbacks this week, and um, and I'm sure we'll get to them. Dan Andrews in Victoria has actually done quite well, and I know there are people, you know, now this is Friday in the latter half of this week they've been saying, oh, well, you look at those curves. There's not a lot of difference between the the states when you look at you know those that are locked down versus those that are less locked down, and I go. How do you know that's the cause? The vi- you know, it's like the virus came in through Sydney largely, so Sydney locked down, and then Melbourne locked down harder. And so, like, it, you can't single out. No, um, they've, one going, they've, they travel. They travel to a parallel universe uh, and were able to compare ah. what would happen if with, with and without. Like, it's, they've just got that technology. It's how it's how John Howard always used to be able to promise that uh, interest rates would be lower under him under Liberals because he actually had a parallel universe that he could travel to and in equivalent circumstances he could go there to, uh, yeah. and he would come back and uh. give us information from that parallel universe that he visited. Hmm. John I, Howard I, I, most I, definitely had a parallel universe. You can't hmm. argue against that. Actually, actually, to be fair, like more and more of our, our older relatives, uh, I see I see people on Facebook having having uh, issues with their their uh, older male relatives who, who uh, seem to be inhabiting a parallel universe 
largely informed by Murdoch media, in which Daniel Andrews is actually a brutal totalitarian dictator and uh, oppressing all of us. Yes, the IPA has called Dan Andrews a socialist leftist, which is which is which is a special kind of. I'm trying to think of it. Well, yes, the, if he's a socialist, I suppose he would be a leftist. What well, both of those things? Although Dan Andrews, Dan Andrews never struck me as at the left hand end of the Labor Party. No, well, I mean, it's just compared with the, the Libs and the and the well, compared with the IPA, you know, <laughs> everybody's everybody's a leftist. Uh, I did see that they were calling. I know this was Tim Smith, who was the Victorian member down for know, Brighton or something, um, the one who demanded the member that, for uh, Moonbat. Yeah, the one who was demanding that the uh, Victorian Public Service sack that the, the the Deputy Chief Health Officer for drawing an analogy between the impact of uh, invasion on Indigenous people and you know a virus and the, if unchecked, and so he was demanding that she be sacked. And I, I saw him; he was having a go at, at Andrews uh, later in the week, declaring that he was again you know this, this brutal socialist dictator sort of thing, but also with his Green Left Health Officer. So apparently, if you if you are aware of there having been an invasion. I'm pretty sure there wasn't a treaty. That makes you green left uh, by default. Well, I uh, actually double checked before we started recording that, in fact, uh, I am on uh, the land of the Darug people uh, here up in the Blue Mountains because I thought I'm going to look a goose if I get this wrong. And I happened to notice on the page where I checked about Blue Mountains history, 90% of the Darug people were killed by smallpox. Hmm. So, I mean, so the analogy doesn't work at all. No. <laughs> no. No. I mean, in, except in the sense that actually the the, the COVID nineteen has been substantially less devastating uh, so far. Well, that's right. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? The whole point about a, a virus and viral spread is it's exponential. And like, yeah, if you squish it down at the early stage, then you do save the huge numbers of lives down the track. But it looks like only a small number of people were affected in the first place. If you do it yes. right. And there's so much modelling which says if you lift the lockdowns too early, then vroom, it goes worse than it was even at the peak uh, yeah. of when you're in lockdowns. And that's that's exactly the decision that the, the National Cabinet is going to make today. We're recording this in the morning, so you're going to have to do one of your future Jeremy things, I think, when we find out this afternoon which, which lockdowns will be changed in which states. Sorry? Oh, I heard my name. Future Jeremy here. Yes, the Prime Minister did in fact come back down and give a breakdown of various steps he'd like the country to take. South Australia and Queensland are going to do it a bit quicker. Victoria is going to review it on Monday. We'll see what comes of it. The National Cabinet reviewing it in three weeks. The virus can do a lot in three weeks. I would have thought that maybe shorter timeframes might have been a good idea. Anyway, we can explore it all next week. Future Jeremy, out! And I know Victoria has said already that they're not really going to change much at all. How could you? How could you sensibly lift it at this point? Well, it costs too much. Uh, if I may quote, and this is in the UK, but the uh, the economics editor of the Telegraph in in the UK, a chap called Russell Lynch, he has a headline uh, this week: "The cost of saving lives in this lockdown is too high." So, I I I. Been meaning to, you know, should we should we ask him? Like, have you got a figure in mind? For- they do though. They actually do have a value. All of these, all of the, um, not, it's not a actuarial, What's it the- actuar- ac- ac- yeah, the actuar- actuar- actuarial, actuarial insurance people. Yeah, actuary, actuaries, actuaries. Yeah, 
I don't know why that doesn't just roll off the tongue. We're always talking about actresses. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I mean, who isn't? People who what study this stuff, yes. They very much put a dollar value on life. And and their argument would be, well, I mean, we all are recogn- recognise that, you know, if we get in a car, there's a non-zero chance of being killed, and yet we do it because there's other practical side effects. of. So there is a benefit that outweighs the potential cost of, you know, dying or being horribly injured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we could wrap everyone in, in kind of a big foam rubber bubble mm. to prevent all sorts of injuries, but it's not it's not going to work, right? I mean, you know... You so know. There, is, there is a spectrum. There is a line. Exactly. But there is a certain coldness about actually stating that and and over on planet janet janet orbrickson yesterday her headline was old or young every life has a different value and we accept that she asserted Mm. (laughs) do do we accept that janet do we do we accept that other life every life has a different value do we (laughs) Well, Janet's getting horny for the camps. The weak must be culled, and we're fine with that, apparently. Is it culling? Is it eugenics if it's if we leave it to the market? That just happens to be the result. <laughs> Look, I didn't actually kill those people. I just unleashed the situation where they then died. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is some high-level bonkers. Yeah. Um, I, I, in those situations, I always suggest ending your sentence with, comma, your honour. <laughs> If you try to explain something like that, uh, I'm not a sociopath, path, bash. Oh wait, no, just <laughs> yes, to stop. It. Yes. Yeah, delete, delete everything that you're about to say. Doesn't doesn't Janet Orbrickson have a kind of Aryan look about her too? Just just an Aryan brain. Um, she touched I'm my mo- arm once, several times. You did, but see her passing by, and you shall keep scrubbing that arm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was at, a, at an event run by. Uh, well, the lizard people, basically. I was I was one of the speakers along with... Me. No, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but I ended up having... No, I want to know who the lizard I, people were. I, I, the lizard people? Lizard people, uh, lizard people Junior, the Centre for Independent Studies. Oh, my IPA God. Light. Yeah, why, why are they even there? Like, well, what is the point of them now? And so there's like, there's two bodies that have weirdly completely the same opinion on stuff. Well, I want to talk about opening the Overton window. At this point, yeah, well, that, isn't that the thing? Like, because you, you get that out there, you take the hits, yeah, and then you just say that, yeah, look, Janet, that that's too extreme, but let's back. What if we did a bit? Back a bit. So, we, we, do we need to explain the Overton window for the kids at home? I'm pretty sure everybody listening to the podcast knows it, but the general idea is, you know, that's the that's the parameters of of civil debate, Ex- and if you, civil debate, acceptable debate. And you push one end out, and you sort of stretch then, it in that direction. Yeah, you can give it a stretch. It's sort of like the goatsy of political debate. No, it isn't. And nobody, we are not explaining to people what that means. So, uh, Any- quickly moving on, because that's actually failed. Stop me being able to move on. Look, the difference is, if we were talking about the population starving, we don't have enough doctors right now. Like, the idea of the essential workers, the things that are needed, we're already not doing a full lockdown. We're doing a lockdown with exceptions for things that we need, mm. that the community needs to have happening. And so those things like are the still happening. Shop. Yeah, well, okay, not necessarily. Well, except like there is an argument there that, that for, for some people, it would be quite grim if you suddenly cut it off because it does have some medicinal aspects. Yeah, yes, yes, those people uh, that we might call alcoholics or, or whatever. Uh, yeah, you suddenly stop and you cause all sorts of problems. Yeah, there are separate problems that that would create. So basically, aha, we've already done a calculation of what things are we can do. We can have a lower cost to shut down. Have we? Um, well, effectively, we have because we've shut down the things that aren't. You said, ah, your keyword there. You said we have done a calculation, and one of the things I wrote about we've done an assessment. 
<laughs> what things are what things are essential. We've licked a finger and held it up to the wind. Is ba- look, I don't know. I went on about this at length earlier in the week, and I did write a thing for ZDNet. Please look that up, where I said that the government's message uh, on the COVID Safe app is full of holes. And one of the things I said in that was to say, "Where's the working out?" Hmm. And they never give us no. That. They, we don't get the working out. We, we and look, that's always the case. They keep saying there's Treasury modelling, and I go, "Well, let's see it." There are, you know, in every model. There are variables and assumptions, and and depending on the values going in, some variables uh, have a huge effect on the outcome, and some don't really have any effect at all. And and that's the information we need to know. And what we're not seeing is the analysis, or even really explained, that if we lift this kind of lockdown, then what? are the chances that will have the infection mm. rate go up. So is it about the schools? Maybe it's about workplaces. Should we worry about public transport? Should should we have everyone carry an app in their phone? Will that help? Except not everyone can. Are we doing this carefully with the public health as the highest priority? Or are we doing it in the what can we get away with because we're getting pressure from our the business community and for our financial the financial aspect because if you're doing it cautiously if you're putting the first thing first for example say say you want well say you want to start releasing some of the social restrictions mm. wouldn't you for example pick a community uh in you would probably do one in the city a smaller area and you maybe you relax them in a specific area you make sure that you have greater testing facilities available for that area that test area and see what happens and you see what happens if they go up you will know because you're going to make sure that you because you're not going to do this without having the heavy testing required to make sure that it's actually working. So uh, it, make sure that you got that there, and then if the, and then if it's okay, then then that can be expanded cautiously, carefully. If it's not, then you can shut it down quickly before it goes completely out of control, which is what viruses do. Indeed. But is that what they're proposing? No. And we have to remember that these situations when they talk about it is safe to reopen it doesn't mean it's safe you won't get the disease it means it's safe because we've got enough beds in the intensive care unit and they don't though they don't even do that because the whole point is if you let a virus out of control before you have a vaccine mm, then people get sick and exponentially like it's good they, isn't it you know you know we only start off with a couple of cases and then there are a lot and then there are a lot more. And there are a lot more. Like they would like even even before we shut it down, it had started to go off. And then we say we can look at America and see what's happened there. I think the United States is uh, leading the world in this. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They're number one. There's, there's our test case. It's not going so well. I... <laughs> look at the test. There's, there's your there's there's your example. And it's going to get a lot worse. Like where's the example of somebody opening up without it going to shit? And before they've actually completely like New Zealand could probably do it because they really did kill it down to nothing. Well, I spoke to someone uh, uh, who has uh, contacts in Tasmania today, and there's talk now they could open up between Tasmania and New Zealand before Tasmania reopens with the mainland because Tasmania has this moat and they're not a afraid to use it and in fact they haven't been afraid to use it mm. and and apart from the, the northern part you know and a couple of outbreaks there they're doing quite well so yeah maybe maybe they could do something there maybe they could succeed from australia and have the 
the you know a new Republic of Islands or something. Sure, I did see. I did see. Was Jacinda Ardern was here this week to talk to the national cabinet? Uh, she, well, she beamed. She beamed in. Yes. What happened following that? I didn't see. They said they would continue talking about possible things. Okay, that probably explains why I didn't hear about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, you know, our first meeting, you can't really decide. She's got to go back and talk to her people. I mean, much as we love. Jacinda Ardern, apparently, she isn't Hitler, so she can't just rule by decree. Apparently, that's not how New Zealand works. Bonkers. I know, it's madness. Yeah, it I is love, madness. I love the idea that, that they might join us as you know, the people speculating, what if they join us as a state? Why would they? <laughs> yes, I know. Why would, why they, would they become part of Australia? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what an odd choice for New Zealand. Like, you know, they, they turned us down once. What has changed? What what has happened that would in the in the century since that would conceivably change their minds? Well, Australia's uh, land of the freedom and and democracy and 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 has beaches. Uh, and pretty sure they have beaches there too. They yeah they do they have a coast yes, they do they do there is a coastline in New Zealand. They have lots of pretty landscape, even the bits that aren't Middle Earth. There's no such thing. It's all Middle Earth. New Zealand is not just Middle Earth. Wasn't that the poster in the New Zealand consulate in like Flight of the Concords? Something like we're not not just Lord of the Rings. (laughs) So what's happening with the app? Tell me, tell me about the The app app. because I think you're you're you have some actual expertise on the app, and you're talking. You know, you're you're a go-to person on the app. Well, yes, and other people have been further down into the technicals of it. Uh, To sum up, there's been a lot of uh, privacy groups and others uh, kicking up, and it's although that's more been geeks who tend to focus on the technicals and think about oh, but this and oh, that happens. Um, Look, it's. I, so I, <laughs> it disables like diabetics apps that like one of their insulin. Diabetics, Janet. Janet wants to get rid of them. What if diabetics? You got diabetes off to the camps with you. Look, it's not terrible, and given that it was written in a very great hurry by by people for whatever reason, you know, it's okay. And and um, there there have been technical breakdowns of it. As in, I mean, people have dismantled the software and looked at it and gone, yeah, there's there's things wrong and, and need fixing, but overall, don't panic. Worry more about what happens at the back end uh, with, with the data and so on. Um, well, that's the thing. Like, do we really trust them to have this data? Because like, they, they need it. it. Although it's not central. Well, well sorry, it is the point at the moment. It is to is. have a centralised... It yeah, is a, that, that information being It given. is a centralised data store. The data is encrypted in the data store uh, and it can only be decrypted with the cooperation of a state-level health person and the person whose data it is. So the, right. it's, it's encrypted in a way that it can't be decrypted from storage without information that is on the individual's phone. All right, and then when the state police force subpoenas them for it or demands that it be... Yeah, yeah, so we have in the the determination at the moment that that'll put you in jail for five years, that the ministerial determination, as it's called, uh, that the health minister first put out actually has a section which is really tough on what can be done with it. And someone I know... Well, I mean... Like Ministerial nothing. directions. I mean, they that they they're like they're stuck there forever. Once some, once a minister's <laughs> made a direction, I mean, I they, that changed. can never be changed. Which is it's not like there'll be. Enough. Which is why next Tuesday it'll be put into legislation, and we've already seen the draft legislation, and it's basically the same thing. So, so what does it what does it say? It's, it's going to be like if, if well, you, if... well, the yeah, it's with, without. Oh, this is going to be my paraphrase of it, but basically, 
are accessing the data, handing the data on, uh, et cetera, et cetera, for any purpose other than you are one of the state health authority people who's authorised to do it and you have the permission of the person, that's a crime. It can be accessed for the purposes of administering the act because, I mean, if you're going to do a criminal prosecution on someone for misusing the data, then you actually have to kind of access the data to prove that. Yeah. So so that's the exception. You can't coerce someone into you downloading the app or using it or running it. You can't make that a condition of any contract or entry to a premises or whatever. So we've seen some employers say, oh, well, you know, I'll make my employees do that or I'll use the mobile device management software to roll it out to all of our employees' phones. It's like, <laughs> no, no, that that is a crime. Now, I imagine that some employer groups will be pushing back on that legislation when it hits Parliament on Tuesday, but we we shall see. But it's quite tough. And in fact, someone who is within what are called the infectious diseases surveillance sections in the health departments around the country, that's what they do. They are actually trying to monitor the spread of the disease. They do the contact tracing and they do the, the statistical modelling and they stay in touch with uh, research from overseas. But... I understand that the legal department at one of the state-level health authorities is going, hey, the way this is written, we can't take that person's name and date of birth and phone number and put it over into our regular contact tracing database because it says we're not allowed to do that, we think. So, yeah. so that's how tightly it's written that they're saying, no, this is, you know, if you've got measles or you've got tuberculosis or you've got a... A sexually transmitted infection. This is contact tracing. This is what they do. And this raises another point about the app. It's it's techno magic, right? No one no one has done this on the planet before. And people say, oh, but Singapore has. He said, yeah, but we haven't analyzed this yet. It's a punt. Hmm. We're, we're seeing how it goes, but will it will it create a false sense of security, leading people to uh, undertake more risky behavior? No one around me is saying, I'm not getting any notifications, so maybe I'll be fine. Yes, exactly, because there is a mm. there is a, a cohort of people, and I don't know how big it is, who think that they're going to get a real-time alert, like as if it's a, a, a digital leper's bell. And it's not. That's not how it works. It's if someone tests COVID-19 positive and they, they have all of these logs on their phone, they're invited to say, well, are you happy to upload that to us and decrypt it and allow us to decrypt it. All right. If they say yes, then they can decrypt the IDs and then they can contact the people who are in those logs. And again, hmm. well... But that's right. It relies on the person actually doing that too because, yeah. of course, the app itself isn't testing whether you have COVID-19. No, it's and just... this is the thing. And it's, it's, it's only testing who has been near you also using the app. And the way it does mm. that ex is exchanging um, Bluetooth beacons, which are little pinging you know, radio signals. Yeah. Um, and although they say, yes, we will analyse the data and see who's been within 1.5 metres for more than 15 minutes. Now, Why 15 minutes either, too? Because you could certainly do it faster than that. Uh, well, you've got to pick something. You've got you to gotta pick something. And it is fair to... Five? Two? Well, no, you just walk past someone. It doesn't take that someone. long to sneeze yeah. and spread it. Yeah, I know it. I know, but then you're going to get a billion false positives because how many people did you walk past in the street very quickly for like one ping of of the mm. app? Now, 
<laughs> it needs to listen out for coughs and sneezes. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, there was a sneeze in, a sneeze in the vicinity. And there was a, <laughs> yeah, oh, God, wouldn't that be... Yeah, or a dog barking or, you know, a Chinese-looking person with face recognition. Yeah, we can do all of these things with technology. It's marvellous. Can I suggest, and obviously I would suggest that people will have a listen to your podcast in relation to going into a lot more detail about the issues in this because I'm confident that you've had... This is, you've had this is a very deep issues. rabbit hole, yes. But broadly, yeah. broadly speaking... We are being really heavy to say you won't be able to go to the pub for a beer unless you download the app, which is essentially Scott Morrison's thing. Morrison's thing. Yeah, uh, that's ridiculous. They, they want to get. Well, Morrison has set this target of forty percent, and people said of what? Of the population, of adults, of people with smartphones, um, and the health authorities are up before the Senate committee looking at this. There's a standing Senate committee looking at our COVID nineteen response. The health authorities are saying, "Well, we we don't have any." number in mind just the more the better um which mm. is a perfectly reasonable assumption yes the more the better correct uh, no no it's a national project to go in if we can all work together to hit challenge. this random number yeah this number that he's pulled out of his ass then we can all be free well, I sus- and the virus can't touch well us. i suspect that's the number that that is is coming up we still don't know 40 percent of what but let's say it's 10 million of the 26 million people in australia that's about 40 percent we haven't got 10 million we've got about 5 million downloads at the moment although most people who've downloaded it have registered it i suppose you have to because that's the first thing it asks you have to, you have to use your phone number yeah well so they can contact you I mean, yeah. there's no point well, having a contact to... tracing app if no if the contact tracers can't contact you well you could do it with an email or something but yeah no it's, they want to know something that's far more specific and can't be can't be yeah, fudged, yeah, so yeah. They, they know who it is. Well, the other thing is, too, you, you want a conversation with the person. Contact tracing isn't this this kind of passive process of just the person talking to you. It's interactive. So you're discussing with them the kind of contacts, and it gives the contact tracer the ability to give them a little public health message and discuss with them the risks and so on. So it's, it's, it's really quite a well-honed process, uh, that is that is part of our world, and the contact tracers that I have spoken to say, well, all this data, I mean, it's it's fine, but I, we're not quite sure how we would integrate that into what we do. Uh, yeah, don't, <laughs> no, we heard an I, I heard an idea from a country from another they, that they had this app thingy and uh, make that work, will you? Yeah, that's fine. As <laughs> so, I, as I say, it's, it's techno somehow. magic. If you have an app, then suddenly. Everything is wonderful, and and that's where we're at. And maybe it will be a very great help. Maybe it won't mm-hmm. be. But I think we need to be adult about that. And the government is not having an adult conversation with us. It's and isn't that part of the problem? It, it they in order for this to work, there needs to be trust. So number one, they don't have the runs on the board. This particular government, the Scummer government, yes. doesn't have particular runs on the board in terms of being trustworthy, no pay, sorry, no pay, transparent. They're very good at being opaque. about. Yeah, they're very good. <laughs> they just runs the board being opaque. In order to, that we trust them not to do anything with it. But there's a second issue, which is that anybody who looks at the last 20 years, 30 years of, of Australian bipartisan consensus on security things uh, doesn't have any reason to trust that future governments won't. Once the infant, once the data is there, it's always creep, mission creep. Sure. Or once they've got the data, it doesn't really matter what they've passed now. It's really easy, as we've seen, for shitty ideas to be rammed through but with bipartisan consensus the last day of a parliamentary sitting because the ALP is too afraid to look weak on terrorism, find some kind of security excuse for doing it, and that data will find its way to the hands of Peter Dutton and the Home Affairs Department or whoever the minister is at that time. But 
people are rightly cautious of data being in there and they don't trust the government's assurances it definitely won't be because we have repeatedly seen them take you know you give them an inch they take several football fields they don't just it doesn't stop there so once and once that data is collected what it really needs what it really needs is like a, a time bomb like a destructive you know what i mean like a you know this data will self-destruct after three months or something. well that's in the app is it? Every every day, the app deletes the data from twenty one days ago. Uh, so, but no, I don't want the I don't want the app to do it. I want the central database that's collating it for the health authority. Yes, because you the, need the to central... go back a bit further. You're quite right. You need to go back further the twenty one days for the contact tracing uh, to be effective. But it needs to have a delete date in it. The delete date. For people to trust the it. The delete date in the ministerial determination is effectively. I can't remember the exact words, but when the pandemic is over whatever that means, and that's not defined. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what what happens when this hits Parliament. But but you're right that a ministerial determination can be redeterminated at any moment and the data reused. Bing, it's done. And even if it's legislation, even if it's legislation, we don't really... The check and balance on that should be that it's hard to get these sort of things through Parliament and there'll be a real check and balance on, on any, any more creep in terms of... Um, national security state stuff, but what we've seen is that that doesn't work in practice because we have a the other party, one party that's, that's always going to vote for security stuff, and the other party that is scared not to. Which brings us <laughs> to Christina Keneally. Yeah, well, actually, before we get to Keneally, because we'll talk about the ALP, and there's a couple of things with ALP. The one other thing I want to point out, because we sort of skipped past it too, when we're talking about the um, the costs that are being asserted for staying in lockdown. That's the other trust issue. So one trust issue is we don't trust them with the data. But the other trust issue, and I think it's, it's connected with how they just use these numbers now, Both it's like this partisan thing. The libs can give whatever number they like. It doesn't register with me. now. I've, I've seen so much well, being bullshit. Well, we can make up any you know, number we like because we don't know. That's right. What, what does it cost? Well, but you know, in relation to anything, when they claim that this is going to hit the budget by this many billion dollars or this is going to cost this much, it's always fudgy. They've gotten so it's Everybody knows that they fudge everything. And that their assumptions are, you know, when they were when they were declaring they were going to get the budget into surplus, it was really dubious. And likewise, when Labor gives a number of how much, we have got the budget into surplus next year. Have we? That's what they said. Remember, we have got oh, yeah, the no, budget. We in have the... got it in the future. Yes, yes that's right. The past, the, the future past tense. That's <laughs> brilliant. Linguistically, very, very, very. Uh, oh, it's a, lovely. I, I think it's beautiful work. But my point, my point is that neither side. So. Labor gives numbers, Liberals give numbers. Nobody believes them. The other side doesn't believe them. I don't believe theirs. They don't believe anyone's that I would believe. And, and so therefore they're not persuasive. The, the Libs can come up here right now and be saying, this lockdown is continuing to cost us this many billion dollars. And their supporters will be like, take that in. This is the amount of money that we are losing every single day this lockdown mm. continues. Mm. And... The rest of us are like Brexit costs us three hundred fifty million pounds a week or whatever it is. Yes, and because they're all, it's all fudgy. Like they're not, it's not. There's not actually a balance sheet where we get to see the governments. The governments aren't don't budget the way like. So we need to. What you're what you're saying is we need to put uh, the nation's budget into like a live Google Sheets document. <laughs> that, well, it, it doesn't work that way because that, of the way that. Well, I, just, I quite frankly, I don't see why it couldn't. I mean, you know, 35 people come in and sign on for uh, job seeker allowance and that gets pinged back and it's updated in the live model and we could just see that. <laughs> That's right. and, and in fact, 
on that, I mean, the magic spreadsheet of the universe, there's a fantastic book from a couple of decades back, probably three, three decades back, by David Galerner, a computing scientist. The book is called Mirror Worlds. And it, it actually posits that what if we made all of this data public, the whole thing, and at least the stuff that's meant to be public, like all the government data, how many people are signing on for JobKeeper in Blacktown today. And and we could put our own functions on top of that. So you could just say, okay, send me an alert when these suburbs goes up more than X people or uh, this water level in a dam does that or whatever. Make the whole thing public so that we but can it doesn't work that participate way. in it. it. Does, but it doesn't work that way. because that's well, not- I, I will say, I will say that when David Galanta suggested this and spoke about it, he became one of the targets of the, the Unabomber, Kaczynski, and lost lost part of a hand when the letter bomb blew up because it was going to turn us all into data and whatever. Well, it's more, isn't the issue more, that, that you know when you pay tax, the government doesn't like transfer the money into an account somewhere. That's not how it works. They just record how much it's just, the money is destroyed. <laughs> In the Cayman Islands. Yeah, no, they don't have a bank account. Well, that's right. Yeah, this doesn't. Yes, I know this doesn't exist. Yes, all this idea that the well, yes, this idea that the budget uh, deficit has to be paid back. That these loans have to be paid. No, they don't. It's <laughs> not how money it's, works. No, 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 that's not how. That's not how money works. And this thing is called. Oh, there's even actually uh, the the Reserve Bank's website's got a lovely page explaining this these new monetary theories. No, no, whatever. It's just money is made up. Hmm. It's just a and, consensus and of if you make up what, too much of what, it, then it won't be worth as much. And you know. That's right, and you'll get inflation or because, no, 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 your ability to, quote, pay back the loan, unquote, is is the labour and skills and resources of the nation that can generate money productivity and- to, to keep productivity, to keep the coins flowing through yeah. the pipe. So my, po- my point over all of that, that is that, that in terms of just standing back for a second and looking at the debate about reopening, mm-hmm. the argument for doing so can't in this environment be sensibly resolved on an economic basis because the numbers that one side are using are simply... Are deaths. <laughs> no, those those are real numbers. And the other side well, is I, dollars. I, can't, it's hard to, hard to deny the actual deaths and the infections. But the, the problem is you're, it's, a, it's a weighing thing of, of can we survive like this indefinitely? And bottom line is that most people who are keen for, the, um, for us to take the cautious approach in relation to the virus are confident that the country can keep doing what it's doing, that we're able to feed ourselves, that there is sufficient wealth in the country to keep the lights on and keep things running, that, the, that, that, that those resources exist and that the country can could effectively survive until the until a vaccine comes out. We could, in fact, manage as we are over that period of time. Um, we could try some gentle easing and see what happens uh, and do it cautiously, but that we're not actually compelled to. And the other side is like, look how, how little my shares are now worth, Look how much the Liberals say uh, this is costing us a day. Billions of dollars. 20 billion trillion dollars a month. A billion trillion. A billion billion (laughs) trillion and four. Which brings... But that's what I'm saying. It's not persuasive. Neither side is talking to each other in 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 the same language. Like their numbers to me are nonsense. I don't don't believe them. I don't accept it. And I don't know whether the way forward on that is step one. If if the governments are going to make valuations on how much something is costing, it should be through the independent... There should be the you know that we finally one of the achievements that the Greens did get with Gillard was there but was an independent par- parliamentary budgetary officer. It's not just the parties that control Treasury picking the numbers. So yeah, you need to have a nice 
independent, bipartisan, not bipartisan, neutral. Like neutral, yes, not partisan yeah, at all. Um, budgetary office. It's simply like that used to be called the public service. Yeah, remember? I I do love the liberals <laughs> having a whinge about when they think the public servants are not not apolitical enough. When one hundred percent their entire approach to government in the last thirty years has been to turn them into an agency of the Liberal Party <laughs> and to sack any public servants who don't match. Which brings me to the IPA. They put out some on this exact topic. The IPA did some push polling a week ago. And one of the questions was, do you agree or disagree with the statement, there should be an immediate easing of petty restrictions with appropriate social distancing in place? So I love they're throwing in yeah. petty oh, no. restrictions. Oh, no, Sigrid, I think you and I both agree. Oh, get rid of the petty yeah. ones, of course. Well, of course. Yeah, get, get rid, rid of the petty, petty ones. ones. I'm on board. Cool. 100, I'm sure 100% of us but, are in support of getting rid of anything that's petty. Cool. All right. Well, that's resolved absolutely well, nothing because <laughs> what's the petty? which are the petty well, ones? 41% of those polled, and this is the thing, 41% of Australians want these restrictions eased, which in my brain says 59% are either happy or don't care. Even the petty so, ones. We're fine with the petty ones. Even the petty even the petty ones. But they, this is the spin, and I love that. You, you see this in the tech field as well, and it's sort of like 25% of people believe this is going to increase next year and the market will go. And it's like, so 75% yes, which means 75%. Don't, yeah. and that's the actual number. Uh, so, so this was done a week ago, but uh, even the IPA trying to push poll it shows that. See, the disagree: forty-six percent, fourteen percent, neither agree nor disagree at the moment. When at the moment is defined as a week mm. ago, Australians are broadly speaking kind of okay with it because many of us think that people. It's good to have fewer people dying. And many of us would like a virus not to go amok because we like the idea that our, our friends and family, you know, um, have largely been okay. And we'd rather that didn't change. The essential polling each week is showing that people are uh, enormously, like the 70% figures of, yes, the reaction is about right, you know, which means there are some who said it should have been even tougher. The satisfaction with the way Morrison is handling it is again up in those phenomenally high. And that, figures. that's infuriating because none of the none of the actual effect, the, the fact that we're actually on top of it, is despite Morrison, not not because of him. Like it's the state <laughs> premiers going no when all of Morrison's instincts have been let it go, let it go. Can't hold me back anymore. Sorry, I have small daughters. That's why it's gorgeous that the national cabinet is a. Uh, subcommittee of federal cabinet which means it's all cabinet confidential and we won't see this stuff for 20 years but that's how they try and act it like it's like the state premiers work for the prime minister so yeah sure they achieve these things but really it's under his great leadership no no that's not how our system works they've been doing things and being like this is what we're going to do you can get stuff morrison and yet at the state level the ipa this is uh mr roscom who's the executive director of the institute of public affairs the socialist left premier of victoria daniel andrews is now out of step with public opinion <laughs> and must immediately lift restrictions on schooling and activities like golf and fishing sam newman kicked off about golf as see, well it's supposed to be a cost when in public debate in the public arena when you seize on a completely ludicrous position so the evidence in this case doesn't back what they want. Like they don't, their push polling doesn't back up where they line. But it doesn't matter. Just doesn't matter. Put you what you want in the headline. No one's going to read like the numbers and go. The numbers don't support the headline. Isn't that a huge part of what's wrong with this though? Because there's no. That's right. People can can run things that really should damage their credibility for future things. 
Like if you tie your tie your, your credibility to this dumb argument that it's not backed up, then next time you run something, it may be like, oh yeah, that's an idiot who was trying to pretend that thirty nine percent was a majority or something. Like, like they, it should yeah. it should yeah. hum, and that's that's part of the, the what we've lost in terms of um, the, the the role of journalists in holding public figures to account or anything is that they don't there is no consequence, so they just spout shit because it'll disappear down the memory hole five seconds later, and who cares? It's like the when um, your, your bolts and all your, your and your Miranda Devines already were all, all out there um, backing Pell, only been found guilty of the those those um, horrific child sex offences. Now they they're now like see we're right all along, but because he was extraordinarily lucky to get get the outcome he got. But it should have been a really risky thing for them to do. We're going we're going to align ourselves with this you know pro. And as we found out this week with the Royal Commission, one hundred percent. Person who covered up for child sexual abuse at the very moment, even, even if you can't prove that he specifically did it because time has passed and you know one of the complaints is dead, even if you can't prove it anymore beyond reasonable doubt, the Royal Commission 100% found that he was covering it up and helping smother it. And what we know, you know, what became increasingly obvious throughout the whole thing that that, that was his whole the whole Catholic Church's whole approach, which was run by him, was to um, keep it quiet. And protect the church's assets, as Tim mentioned, saying. I mean, with all due respect, dude, I think you're scum. And yet, you've got these people aligning themselves with him really hard, and it doesn't harm them. It doesn't harm. There's no consequence to them. It's really weird. You would think that this should... Like, Miranda Devine should be a pariah at this point. I mean, for so many reasons, but this is one of them. <laughs> well, well in, yeah, indeed. So there's two things I want to pick up there. One, are you suggesting that the Institute of Public Affairs is is not a reliable source of information and analysis? Yeah. I have a... I'll, I'll take that yeah. as a yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I haven't had any blows to the head recently, so yes. <laughs> and, and two... God damn it! I've just forgotten what the second one was. It'll come back to me. It's it, I, I'm losing it too. Like I, I start a point and then I'm just like gazing at you through the Skype and I can just forget. Mm. <laughs> like mm. it's have mm. you noticed actually? It's, 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 it's like the the way that you're looking on the Skype, the it's kind of it's kind of just it's different from when you're talking to a person and your eyes are sort of moving around the room. But because you're yes. like literally staring at a very a smaller spot, I, f- I find the focus is harder. Yeah. Yeah, that would that would make sense. And I, I have a, a thing in my head that, that because I've done remote stuff for TV, I'm conscious that I need to sort of address the camera. In fact, I put the mini window of you, a mini window, right up and immediately below the camera. Ooh. So that's in my sideline. There you go. I see now I'm kind of I'm kind uh, of now looking at you. Rather than like yeah. disconcertingly yeah. off to the side. That's right. That's right. It's 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 little things like that. I, but I was totally unprofessional because as I thought of the two things, I should have written a prompt down Ooh. here. Uh, right. well, you'll come back to you when we move on to uh, the... We, we were going about to go on to the ALP and their, their brain farts this week. So there's two two issues. Oh, before we leave Victoria and the ALP, one, the one thing we were really having a go at them for last week was this the weird side effect of the laws they'd passed in relation to tenancies, residential tenancies, where, sure... We're stopping landlords from kicking people out for six months, which is what should happen. So the other point was that for some reason, 
they had also put a limitation on tenants, so they couldn't move out. Even if you're on a month-to-month lease, you couldn't move out until for another six months, until September or whatever it is, which is weird yeah. and problematic. We need to protect landlords. Landlords. Yeah. I... I have I kicked off about the word landlord before? No, but uh, I probably have. They act like landlords. I, I, it's 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 medi it's medieval garbage. They are housing providers. They're providing a service. They are providing people with a uh, comfortable, safe working home. They're supposed to be, but I've... and if they're not doing that. They should be rounded up in carts and thrown off a cliff. Are you suggesting that land that, that at the very are you suggesting least. that some human lives are worth more than others? <laughs> Maybe Janet just meant landlords. Look, I, I have I have a whole bunch of feelings about uh, frankly the idea of of um, using uh, housing as a speculative investment where you can just sort of sit on sit on land don't don't do anything. Just, oh, you know, they, we're in furious agreement here. Yes, the property ladder. Yes, well, the, the, you know and. You got developers Ooh. sitting on. Anyway, they, look, we've, we've thrashed this out many times. So I, I won't. I won't. Be, be, I, I think I, the reason I will use the word landlord at the moment is because that's how they act. They act as if they are, you know, medieval landlords who for, to, Pet, petty tyrants. Yes, yes they yes. act like petty tyrants, uh, and they have the powers of petty mm. tyrants, which they shouldn't. Anyway, the thing that happened last week is that we it became apparent that they made these restrictions on renters. Uh, what appears to be the case following that is, uh, according to the tenants' union and various media things, it appears that. That was in error. That's not supposed to be the case. And that they are looking at rescinding it and, and revising it. They, it's supposedly a drafting error. Now, I would say that's a fairly drastic drafting error that should be fixed immediately. <laughs> it's a matter of post-haste. And that the ministry <laughs> charge should be saying, uh, no, this is the direction, holding over, that that, uh, that that restriction does not apply and we're going to fix the legislation. But uh, in the meantime, uh, the direction is that that's what we're going to be doing. This is clearly a drafting error in the same sense that when something goes to where, oh, that was a production error or, you know, it's it's never, no, that prick did deliberately say that. It's always some cover-up. Oh, no, no, that was a mistake. That was. I do you know, I do wonder whether they intended it, whether, what, how, how that came about. Did it come about because they really did get pressure from the landlords. Were they floating the idea in Amber? Well, did the landlords yeah, lobby try it? Because they, they, you know, obviously they don't want to have, if they can't, if it's harder for them to do inspections, they'd rather lock the tenants down. So did they, did, did was there a discussion? Was it that something came back in a draft and nobody noticed that the landlords, the real estate industry had snuck that bit in? Did nobody notice? Did it, was it intentional? Was it genuinely a mistake? Or did nobody realise that that's how it was going to be read? Like, I don't, it does, it's not clear how it came about. But it's a worry. But anyway, the idea that they are on that they are aware of it and are going to fix it, that's certainly better than if they were like, no, that's what we intended and we'll keep it. So, eh, slight mm. improvement. Um, but yes, let's talk about the ALP and two big things from this week. Should we knock over the, the retail workers one quickly? Because it's not really the ALP so much as their affiliated union, you know, the, the ACTU and, and the Shoppies Union. But did you see that the Shoppies Union yes. and the ACTU were uh, running a case along with the employers to try and uh, get a deal through whereby workers in fast food and uh, well, retail sector uh, would be able to be compelled to do longer work, uh, not have penalty rates attached to it, uh, and uh, you know, be able to be forced to give, use their whatever annual leave they had. Ba- basically a deal that would make uh, very large corporations much much richer and uh, severely uh, at the expense of their workers. No, 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 Jeremy. You, you'd got the terminology oh, wrong. This is about flexibility in the market, mm. flexibility in the labour market. That's what market. I said, uh, workers being sacrificed to prop up the profits of big corporations. 
That's what I said. That's what I said. Same thing. <sighs> no, 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 no. The, the wrong words. You know you're using the wrong words. Mm. That you are. You, this is wrong. But thing. sometimes people <laughs> use the other words that you're using and it confuses people into thinking that it's about flexibility in the workplace where in actual fact what it's about is you're sacrificing workers' rights to prop up the, co- the profits of large corporations. You see, see how the words you're using, yes, I know they're the right the, words. It's one of those irregular yes. nouns. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I advocate for, for flexibility in the workplace. You exploit workers. Yes, yeah. yes. That's right. What is wrong with people? I mean, well, I suppose I shouldn't be amazed by this because we, we basically have Janet Albrickson, you know, saying we should kill the weak. 2020, yay! But human beings, you know, corporations are a collection of human beings and and their brain, and I use this word loosely or at least as an analogy, is a, is a group of men plus maybe some women sitting around a board table and making decisions at the kind of strategic level, and then a bunch of people are actually doing the tactical level and implementing those plans. So all of these people are are also human beings, and they decide to yeah, do Yeah, because this. their job is to, to do things not for the human beings, but for the corporation. Their job is they are employed by the broad entity... <laughs> to sacrifice human beings for its profits. That is, that is what a corporation is. These are the kind of people, if I may say, they'd be the ones shoveling into the oven. Okay, we're, we're not going to Godwin this. Uh, anyway, Godwinning is... <laughs> I, I believe that this is the bit that got the Godwinning, not the eugenics stuff earlier. But anyway... Yes. I think that in terms of the well-meaning people, such as who would still exist in the ACTU and the, the SDA, um, I think it's the same as the well-meaning people in like uh, the progressive quasi progressive government in Victoria in relation to the the um, residential tenancies legislation. The vested interests, so in this case the corporations, in the case of tenancies uh. and so forth, the landlords being the, the landlord lobby, they are very good at threatening the vulnerable if the centre left doesn't go along with them. So the landlords will be like, if you dare to stop us being able to send um, prospective buyers through a tenant's home during a pandemic, if you stop us then we'll whip the peasants. Yeah. We'll go out and whip. We the will peasants. have to kick them out. There'll be homelessness. We, you know, if you dare to make, mm. uh, if you if you dare to remove negative gearing, then I'm sorry, but we're just going to have to kick out all the tenants. It's like there's always a threat, and the corporations are like, well, I'm sorry if you don't give us these additional powers for flexibility, the stuff that we always wanted, more power over our workers. If you don't give it to us, I'm sorry, it's a pandemic. We're just going to have to kick them out without jobs. So it's always the, the centre left is really. They should call a bluff. They should, but they don't. And that's the thing, isn't it? The centre left... 200,000 more homeless people in Victoria, that'll sort the place out. At that point, you then compulsorily acquire the homes so they're kicking them out or something. Okay, next step. Yeah, no, but that's the thing. The centre left is... is, They don't call the bluff. That's that's one of the big weaknesses of the the ALP and the ACTU like this. And we'll ignore that the shop is is nothing more than basically the employer's advocates to workers rather than the other way around. But... I can understand how they go along with these because the the hostage is people's jobs, and in the case of the tendencies, the hostage is people's homes, and the people who've got the power and who want more power over the rest of us are always like, well, if you take away any of our powers, if you don't give us this extra thing that we want, we'll punch those people down the bottom that you care about, and they that threat seems plausible, so they they try and work with it. This is kind of one step above, you know, if you don't do what I want you to do, I'll kill a kitten, really, isn't it? Why is it one step above? It is exactly that. That's not an analogy. It's like literally a one-to-one. That is exactly what it is. We are held hostage. Mm. The other thing that the ARP did this week in, in their attempt to... This one's not so much 
protect the hostages. <laughs> this one is just flat out. <laughs> I don't understand the, the, the way they run these, actually. This, I understand the AOP in relation to the refugees and things being like, it's too hard an argument. We lose, we lose playing on that ground. We're just going to curl up into a little ball and hope that nobody notices. And we're going to pretend to ignore the fact that no matter what we do on it, the lives that we're running concentration camps. Well, that, but also politically, it doesn't work for them because all, all it does is means the lives can keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and they just have to keep going with them. So the lives get to push the Overton window every time, if they they know that Labor's just going to have to fold or be declared that they're like <laughs> people drowning at sea because of Labor. This lie, anyway. So the bit that really gets me about the thing that Keneally did this week is it's out of nowhere. This is an, this is bad grounds for the ALP. You never win on this topic. You can't out-Tory the Liberals on xenophobia. And yet, Kennelly tried it. You saw what she did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She said that once once all of this pandemic is over, we need to take a look at immigration and where people were from. And Well, no, no. I think it was more the sorts of people we have in it. Of course, what sort of people is, is beautiful. She was simply saying, Mike, we should need to look at Aussie jobs over migrants. We need to stop migration, migrant workers. Yeah. So Pauline Hans is like, finally, Labor is agreeing with me. It's not me agreeing with Labor now. It's Labor's agreeing with me. So good work, Keneally, when you're, when you're, you're agreeing with Pauline Hanson. She should also have a brief chat to a number of major sort of companies around Australia and ask them how they'll get on without skilled temporary migrants to fill many of the positions for which there are not enough qualified Australians. Which is the idea of the 457s. I, I, her argument is that they're being, they're being exploited, and they are. But the problem there is... Yeah, that's the old, you know, everyone's leaving out the word some. You know, not all four, five, seven. Well, is, isn't it more the... Uh, if I can express isn't it Isn't it more the question, like, if you're, if you're the Labor Party and you're concerned about um, migrant work uh, undercutting the wages and conditions of non-migrant work, there's a pretty obvious thing to do there. It's well, not get rid of them. Why are they paid a different rate? No, no, why are they paid a different rate? That's the thing, isn't it? Sorry. Why? I mean, yes, it doesn't really matter... Get rid of those exceptions. <laughs> Where I'm from, if I'm being level one call centre or a chef in a pub or whatever, I'm doing the same goddamn job. And if you, if if all of the protections that Australian workers have apply to the migrant workers, then they're not undercutting anything, are they? The problem isn't the migrant Correct. workers. The problem is laws that and make it incompetent Australian workers. No, the problem is legislate incompetent Australian <laughs> legislators. Making it easy for basically turning migrant workers into a cheap, easy workforce. But that's the Australian way. Yeah, exploit the migrants. And it has to be the Australian way because we can't go out to the Pacific Islands and just round them up anymore. Hmm. Can I suggest that the solution from a Labor Party point of view would simply be to uh, agitate for migrant workers to have the same conditions? So, So there's no exception of where you're from or what your visa status is. The bottom line is, if you're working in Australia, all the Australian employment protections apply to you, regardless of your immigration status. And then you're not undercutting anybody. So you would you would think that, wouldn't you? Yeah. And the thing the thing is, if you're if you're worried about cheap migrant cheap so labor, just just very just just quickly just quickly, are these migrant workers paying tax? I would hope so. Yeah. There you go. If you pay them more, you get more tax. Back. And if you remove the thing where employers can exploit them, so if you remove all the disadvantages that they have, so they, they, they have the same protections, then, you, well, from the ALP point of view, you've got more people who can join unions. 
But you remove the incentive for employers to exploit the 457 things because the only reason they're doing it is because they can do it cheaper because they don't have the protections. They're only doing it because they can exploit these workers. So if you're worried about the workers being here, you stop the companies exploiting them. You stop the companies' ability to exploit them, and then this is dangerously joined-up thinking. It's so infuriating. And the thing, the thing <laughs> is, whenever you're complaining about immigrant immigration um, as a, well, sorry, first of all, the, the, the step one thing of they they lower our conditions, they they undercut us. It's only there because of these the, the separate rules for them. So that's easy. Don't do that. That's that's the argument. That's what we should be doing, rather than being like, let's kick them harder because they're they're already being exploited. And so let's kick him anyway. Just quietly, do you have a like an alien inside you trying to get out, or is there a cat wandering? The word that's the, the thing that says we we. No, the we is the uh, message alert for uh, Denise sending me a message. Uh, it's right. It's from. Do you know? Do you, I don't know if you remember the Doctor Zeus stories at all. There's uh, one about uh, Gertrude McFuzz. It's in the Yertle or Turtle book. No. Anyway, well, at one point, point we recorded the, the for the kids as well. So um, there's a bit where where uh, Gertrude is she's having the pillberries that'll make her tail grow, so she'll have a tail better than Lolly Lou. And then, oh, right. Uh, it, I, I this is this is very educational. Thank you. So, I mean, not again, not having kids. All of this, you know, the closest I get is memories from a million years ago. Well, and it, I I had forgotten Gertrude. I remember Yertle, but I had forgotten. Gertrude, but um, when De- when right. Denise, Denise read Gertrude in the recording, and there's a bit where where um, Gertrude gets very excited about her tail growing and goes wee. So I grabbed the audio of Denise going <laughs> wee and made it the alert whenever she messages me. It's great. It's a great wee. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I hadn't tweaked that it was exactly the same each time, but yeah, yes. it's it's, a, it's Telegram messages coming through because Denise is saying wee. Anyway, that's. <laughs> behind-the-scenes exciting path that's got nothing to do with Australian politics. Anyway, so yes, why the ALP thinks that this is a good idea to raise this as a topic? Because the Libs are always out xenophobe you. You're not going to be able to twist, cunningly turn around. Why now? Why now? Why now? It's just so dumb. I just don't... I mean, I get get that there are a lot more unemployed people right now. I get that we're looking at what doubling the unemployment rate and they're talking about you know 10 percent or whatever i I, sorry i was around in the 70s 10 percent unemployment sounds piss easy to me quite frankly it's not like they're talking about 19 percent in the united states i i feel like the labor party simply is like the workers are angry what can we offer them we can offer them that we hate migrants too we let's direct your rage and we're the people to do it for you Many of the workers who've lost their jobs are migrants because they work in industries like retail and hospitality, which I don't know whether you've noticed, but there's there's quite a lot of migrants working in those sorts of areas. People from all over the world. They're pandering to people who they like. They see on the Facebooks being like, "It's the ch- the Wu flu." The Chinese virus. Uh. I hate them for giving us this virus and I want to redirect my rage. I know what voice that was. Yeah, well, Labor should just shut down the 5G rollout <laughs> and then we'd be fine. <laughs> Did you know where was this? <laughs> Useful fact, Stigarian. The average Australian adult in their sleep actually swallows five 5G towers a year. They just, they wow. just crawl into their mouths. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can see that. I mean, they're all spiky and they're legs. Mm. I know. I know. All right. Well, let's yeah. move, let's move quickly past. Fact. So there's there is a by-election. You need Monero. Uh, we're recording this Friday morning. Monero. Uh, I'm still going to need Monero, I'm, mate. I know. You know, it's I'm not still a car. Off the car. 
Eden Monero. No, I, I look. I adapted adapted to calling it Slangata, but I'm I refuse. It's a. I think it's perfectly Australian. To call it Eden Monero. Monero. God damn it! I said it the other way. Monero, like the car. <laughs> the car is Australian. I don't think it really matters, you know, because we we do have regional variations in pronunciation in Australia. Quite a few. We do. Some some people uh, say that uh, when you when you're getting that out of school, you, you're getting an what is an early mark? An early mark in New South Wales. Yeah. Uh, an early minute in some states. Just let out uh, early. Just let out early. Yeah, get it. Well, that, that yeah. Uh, you know, me originally from South Australia. I'm pretty sure that's what we had. Although the early minute thing, the joke is, it's often like an hour. But that, that's that's the joke in the ah. language, right? Language is full of little jokes. Eden Monero. There's a by-election because a Labor member, Mike Kelly's, uh, resigned for health reasons. We're not going to go into any more detail this week because the Libs don't. <laughs> the funny part is that they're thrashing out who their cabinet's going to be. They have no idea. They're they're very going from like Tony Abbott to I don't know some crank. I think look, look, there's 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 a couple of things I love about this. One is that Andrew Constance, who's uh, the transport minister in New South New South Wales, uh, said he was going to have a go at federal. His his uh, alleged candidacy didn't even last twenty four hours because uh, John Barillaro, who's the Nationals' leader in New South Wales, a deputy premier, basically white anted him and had the front page of the Sydney Daily Telegraph calling him a. C- really, I, I did see. Was that, yes. I think that guy, Barillaro. Sorry, that guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's an arsehole in many ways, can I just but that, say. Wasn't he tweeting about how they were... They, they, he was he, also... He called out one of the ministers for travelling to his holiday home. And then he went and did it. Coast, and then he went... Oh, my God, did you see farm. the photograph of his farm? It's this giant palatial mansion in a rural... It's just... It is a seven-bedroom country property, which when he's not there, he puts out on Airbnb for more than $1,800 a night. I love it when they, I love when they call lefties the elites. I'm just shameless. That guy. That guy was also announcing that this week. He put out a tweet that he was like, that the the accommodation, some of the temporary accommodation for Cabago was coming, like it was finally arriving this week or something. Now there was a by election. This is the post bushfire rescue. Yes. So like months and months later, like yeah. oh by election. Okay, you can finally have that accommodation that we promised you. Well, well, here's where it gets complex because Andrew Constance's are. Uh, local seat in New South Wales is within the federal seat of Eden Monero. And Andrew Constance was highly critical, even though he's he's a liberal, he was highly critical of the federal government for not supporting in the bushfires because he was down in Bega being a good local MP and supporting his community and all that. So, in fact, he would have been, I suspect... Like a good yeah. candidate for the Liberals to put up. Right? Somebody with local credibility. I'll take it up with those bastards yeah, in Canberra. Absolutely. Yeah. And you need you need that because Mike Kelly again had that credibility as the Labour member. Uh, but then that all fell apart. And I also love that Tina McQueen, who's the deputy Le- uh, deputy president of the Liberal Party, she was floating the idea of Tony Abbott, and that was out as breaking news for a whole ten minutes before Tony Abbott said, "No, I'm not." And it's like, so where where did that come from? It was a brain fart because these people don't need to think things through; they can just spout shit, and there's no consequence. And how can Tony Abbott be both the the, the MP for Eden Monero and? The, the Director General of the World Health Organization. I mean, the commute, the commute alone, would would be a killer. All right. Well, look, let's let's end with some footage of other bright crayons uh, who are reacting to the mainstream media. 
So I'm, I'm sure that they're perfectly fine with podcasts like ours, but they're very angry with the mainstream media. I don't think they'd know what a podcast Well, it's was. coming in. The mainstream media, they, they, it's coming through their TVs and they're also their, their um, newspapers. Uh, and they're very angry with all the message that's telling them about vaccines and uh, viruses and things that they uh, have absorbed, I guess, on Facebook as being, I don't know, lefty conspiracies. So what's the basic thing here? We have, what, 20,000 Australians allegedly in a Facebook group who've decided that smashing their televisions is the way to intellectual freedom. Is that, have I got that well, right? Well, I mean, here, I'll just, just play a bit of audio and I just want everybody sitting here to really feel in the gut how much it hurts us when they smash their TVs. See this thing here? This thing here is called a television. Television. This is a television. It tells us what to do. It's a television. Mainstream media... You are the virus. I will watch and listen to you no longer. My message to you. You have my message. Fake news. You can all go and get stuffed. We're not going to buy newspapers anymore. Or watch your bloody TV because you can't tell the truth. So piss off. No longer will we be programmed by your TV programs. And as for the media, I've got a message for you. Here's my fucking message. No longer will we be programmed. This is what I think of your Freemason, your COVID-19 bullshit propaganda on all your media outlets. As for the media, no longer will we be programmed. Don't even know where it's going. We're going to show you what I think of televisions and mainstream media. No more lies. Power to the people. What I think we all should do is stop listening to the media and do this. This here needs to go. You need to let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. People will wake up. That there is what needs to happen, okay? Now, this is uh, another word to the government. That the Australian media, they're all full of shit and state and federal fucking politicians need to go to jail for this. Divided we fall, united we stand. Wake the fuck up, Australia. This is what I think of the media. Well, it won't light, but you get the picture. This whole mind control thing from your television is from the 1950s, isn't it? I mean, this is this is a, a meme in the original sense of the word by that annoying Dawkins man that has been in culture for ages. It is. I mean, the, the guy at the end trying to... I yes, I don't. I don't think they think that it's mind control. They just think that there's a big conspiracy run by by George Soros and the and Bill Gates. And the lizard people. <laughs> no, no I, think, I think this one is... Who wants to inject you with liquid chips, liquid microchips, apparently. That's that's a thing. I mean, this is like Antarctic moon Nazi stuff. <laughs> but but the guy at the end couldn't light his newspaper. <laughs> Did you see? That's beautiful. 
I just love it. There's like <laughs> so you have to say one Cam, thing. I... Through, so at Sixenheimer on Twitter, who did the uh, who's been a uh, host on the, on the podcast many times, uh, he did a supercut of it. So it's it's worth having a if you if you find find him on the Twitters and find his supercut, it's uh, it's there. One thing I love about the conspiracy theory based protesters is there's always a certain level of incompetence to whatever show they try to put on. And and that's part of the appeal. That really is quite endearing. I think, I think they assumed that that would be like the MTV logo when you smash the TV. That would like like an old cathode ray tube TV and you know it's it would go through satisfyingly and glass would shatter. I think that's what they were picturing, but the problem is that modern screens are kind of more like a windshield. They just sort of like, just sort of crumple. Yeah, they don't because yeah, you don't want fragile glass objects that big in the house, no. right? It's not safe. <laughs> but I don't think that it's not obvious if you haven't smashed a TV before that that's what's going to happen. So they just uh, who are these people? Get out there and smash televisions. <laughs> Get to know what you're doing. That's my advice. Smash your television. Right, well, I think that's an appropriate place to leave the podcast this week. Sigurian. Uh, <laughs> yes. yes, I think. Where so. can the people find you uh, on the twitters and uh, in the? Uh, also, we might as well say and the podcast because I believe later this afternoon you, you'll be recording an even more up to date podcast because between now and the afternoon, what we'll probably know more about what they're going to do with. Oh, uh, with lettuce letting us out. We'll find out who the Liberals finally decide to put up. Oh, actually, no. It's nominations for the Liberal pre-selection close this afternoon. (laughs) So we've then got to have whatever decision-making process in the Liberal Party to choose a candidate. So there will be further bloodshed next week. This is the thing. The the other part about the Keneally thing was so dumb. Like, that immediately creates this little fight within the Labor Party because then they ask all the other Labor people, do you agree with this? Like, you create this conflict within the party <laughs> where you don't need to do that because the Libs are just doing this. Let them tear each other to pieces, for goodness sake. Just madness. Well, and Labor's letting the Libs tear themselves apart in New South Wales. Look, it swings. Yeah, but in five minutes, five minutes, I... another one of them will come up with another stupid thing to distract attention from the Libs again when they're going through this. Anyway, Stuart, so the night. Well, anything, anything for news that's not about the coronavirus, right? But where can I be found, you ask? On the Twitters, as Stilgarian. Uh, my website, which has links to all of my stuff, is at stilgarian.com. This is all very complex. But my podcast, yes, is called The 9pm Edict. It's not at 9pm and it isn't an edict, but you can find it as The 9pm Edict on all the usual places. And currently, I'm doing about every 10 days uh, His Plague Diary episode where I'm collecting together both uh, some of the more dumb things that are happening around the world plus a few uh personal thoughts about how i'm going during the lockdown so for me this is day 52 well for however many more days that we're all stuck in this situation in any case you can talk with us at well may we say on the twitters uh thank you to all of our patreon subscribers for supporting the podcast and keeping it going thank you to everybody who's left us a positive review on itunes if you haven't left a positive review for, for us on itunes you could i mean it doesn't take that long and it's fun it's lots of fun. There are a few things more fun when in lockdown than leaving uh, the What May We Say podcast a positive review on iTunes. Stigarian, you'd agree with that, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Um, I, I think there's only two things that are more exciting than that. One is uh, putting your name up for pre-selection for the seat of Eden Monero for the Liberal Party uh, of Australia. And and the second one is watching the bad program on television on Sunday mornings. But unlike either of those things, leaving a positive review for well, may we say... Yeah, I'm not doing either of those on, on iTunes doesn't actually cost you your soul. So it swings and roundabouts. Yeah. Uh, thank you also to... 
Robin Gray for the music. Thank you, Alex Lum, for the artwork. And we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>